Oh, God, we, those words are on our minds. We just sang them as a prayer. It's, it's Revelation 5, where all the angels of the universe and all of heaven all bow down and sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered. You have purchased people and nations and languages and tongues. And we're, in that, we're, we're included in that uh, praise. Thank you for the Lamb. Bless this time in His Word. Speak. Let His voice be the one that is dominant now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you say we start off with something a little cheerful, huh? Just a little cheerful. It doesn't hurt us. How's it feel living in a country that many think is going crazy? You can't come into worship and ignore the world around you. Back in 1992, I wrote a book. It's my first book. And the first chapter circled around the sentence, we are living in a war and the battle is intensifying. Man, that was 30 years ago. We are still living in a war and the battle is intensifying. Uvalde, Texas, another name seared into the collective psyche of Americans. Ten days before, Buffalo, New York. Eight days after it, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And there have been headlines since. Please. But those are just the guns. We're living in a war and the battle is intensifying. I'm talking about a war inside everybody who is in this space right now. There is a raging war inside of us, and the battle is intensifying. And if there ever were a time when the story we are about to read addresses and engages us at this moment in living, this is it. Open your Bible to Joshua 5. Come on. And I want to keep this on the screen here because I love what our Brittany Doyle did with this uh, graphics. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. That was the last time you and I were together. That's part one. Here's part two, when the lesser meets the greater. And I look at that. You have to look up to him. Open your Bible to Joshua chapter 5. Let's go. Joshua 5, right at the end of the chapter, please. Right at the end. You'll see it there. What is it, the last three verses of the chapter? Yep. Joshua 5, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Oh, boy. Joshua and all the people that he leads, they've just crossed the mighty Jordan River, the wispy trail of a thousand Israelite campfires meanders into the heavens. I got to be alone. I just have to be alone. And he steps away from the crowd that he leads, wanders out into the, the gathering twilight shadows, having no idea that just as his predecessor Moses accidentally stumbled into a desert bush engulfed in flames, but not disintegrating, even so now he's going to accidentally stumble into a theophany where the same deity that was in the flames will now take on physical form. And oh my, what physical form! Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a, a drawn sword. You don't, have to be author you don't have to be an authority on guns or swords to know that a drawn 
sword, or gun means you are facing an imminent offensive threat, true or false, but of course. And so Joshua, this is amazing, the valor of this warrior leader. Joshua went up. I had to run back, but Joshua runs forward and asks that, that, that barked command. Who goes there? That's what a sentry always cries out. Who goes there? Joshua asks it this way. Are you for us or for our enemies? And the stranger stands there. By the way, one author I read describes the stranger as lofty in stature, lofty in stature and armed with a commanding presence. (laughs) Oh, boy. The stranger doesn't flinch. Joshua lunges toward him. The stranger has one word answer. I want you to watch this. Who are you? Are you for us or against us? And the stranger replies, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. One word answer. The Hebrew actually reads no. The NIV said, listen, you can't put no because how could you answer a yes or no question with no? Are you for us or against us? No. Please, you haven't answered the question yet. So they try to soften it up. They say neither. No, the Hebrew, I checked it out. It's low. It means no. No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I am infinitely greater than you can possibly imagine. And I'm the commander of the, of the armies. That's why I've come. Wow. Keep reading. Neither, he said. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The identical words that the deity speaks from the raging fire of the burning bush to Moses are now repeated. Take off your sandals, boy. You're on holy ground now. As Robert Alter correctly observes, both stories are dedication episodes as a leader is about to embark on his mission. And by the way, we already know at this point in the story, we know the leader, this commander, is divine. Two reasons why we know. Number one, if it were an angel, you know what the angel would have done when Joshua hit the ground? The same thing he did with the elderly John on the Isle of Pass. Stop. Gabriel says, stop, stop, stop. I'm, I'm a, one of your brothers. You don't worship me. You worship God. Not a word. The, the stranger receives that worship without a comment. And then secondly, there, was no, there were no chapters when Joshua penned these memoirs. There were no verses set out. And in fact, the conversation is not over. If you keep reading in chapter 6, the first, verse 1 says, Jericho is locked locked up tighter than a drum. They are scared. And we'll talk about the walls coming down next Sabbath, you and I together. But then you go to verse 2. And, 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 and what does verse 2 say? And it says, and the Lord said to Joshua. That's capital L, capital O. I mean, yeah, capital L-O-R-D, all caps. It's the famous Hebrew tetragrammaton, the four letters. Some think it might be pronounced Yahweh. He takes the name 
He's as divine as they come. Trust me. Uh, but I want to give careful attention, you and me, for the few moments we have. I want to, I want to look at this, 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 this title of his. As commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Now, in the Hebrew, commander, the, the word is sar. And by the way, in Daniel 8, 25, the Messiah is called sar, which means prince. Sar sarim, prince of princes. So whoever this being is, he's of high and noble personage. He's a sar. He's a prince. You can translate a captain as the old King James does. You can do it like the NIV. He's commander. As commander of the army, Sabaoth. This is an abbreviation of Sabaoth, and it means hosts or armies. And some translations, I love the translation that renders this angel armies. I stand before you now as the prince of princes, the commander of the angel armies of the God of the universe. I am he. Boom. On the ground again. Wow. Robert Alter renders this in the the, the words, and he, the stranger, capital S, stranger, said, no. For I am commander of the Lord's army. Now I have come. Now watch this. This pronouncement, just two words in the Hebrew, is meant to sound portentous. Now is the beginning. This is what, this is what he's, the stranger is saying. Now is the beginning of my great mission of conquest in which you, with your face to the ground, in which you will serve as my human deputy. My, oh, my. I wish, I wish, I wish there had been a camera right there. Click. Because there you have Joshua on his face before the one who, when this tall, lofty in stature stranger will come as a Christ child, will take the name of the man with his face in the dirt. Yehoshua. I'm Yehoshua. That's what they called Jesus. That's what Mary called her little baby. Yehoshua. Same name. How would you like it if God took your name before he, he uh, showed up on earth? Wouldn't that make you feel good? Joshua, of course, has course has no clue. Freeze that frame, because there's one more. There's one more aspect of this divine warrior we need to zero in, drill down on right now, and that is his drawn sword. Okay, let's look at the sword again. Not before we notice patriarchs and prophets who identifies this individual very correctly. Now, exegetically, we now understand spot on. It was Christ, the exalted one who stood before the leader of Israel. Didn't Jesus? Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When, when Jesus came to earth, didn't he at one time say before Abraham was, I am? Did he, didn't he say that? Yeah, I am. I am the I am. There is no question in Scripture who this angel is, who this, this sword unsheathed stranger is. He's the eternal one himself. It was Christ the exalted one who stood before the leader of Israel. Now, let's go back and see that moment again. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man. Now, my friend Jacques Ducan has written the, the, uh, the Sabbath school lesson quarter for, for adults. We're studying right now the book of Genesis. And just this week, he pointed out that this word, man, is the same word to describe the man that attacked Jacob by the, the, uh, the crick, Jabbok. And we know who that man was, don't we? Same word, same man, deity in human form. Wow. And he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. The last time we saw a drawn sword in 
Holy Scripture preceded this moment. And I wish you, I wish you could guess it. If you could guess it right now, I'd have a special prize for you. If you could guess it right now, you'd have to do it right now. Too late. But I would have sent you to, I would have sent you to Rodley, and he would have had something for you. Okay? So let's go back to the book of Numbers. This is the last time we've seen a, an, an angelic being with a sword in the hand. Now you're getting it, aren't you? Numbers chapter 22, verse 23. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, and by the way, this is the moniker by which the second person of the Godhead shows up in the Old Testament. Often it's, New King James will say capital A because they know this is the, this is the divine one. When the donkey sees the divine one standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turns off the road into a field. Balaam beats it to get back on the road. That poor, hapless donkey. Last last, uh, June, we did a series, For the Love of Animals, and and, uh, we, we relived this moment. What's going on here? The drawn sword, once again, is a position of imminent, offensive danger. I can pull this trigger right now. I can thrust this sword right now. It's meant to be that way. So what's going on here? Does it bother you that God would somehow embrace a militant stance? That that, that, that he would show show up as a warrior God, a sword-bearing God, if you please? I want to talk about our little community here. I'll call it the academy. It is the natural tendency in the academy, talking about a university community, it is the natural tendency for us to be against war and armed conflict. We are pacifists by nature. You take a straw vote in this campus, I'm telling you, pacifism wins hands down. Why? Because that's what bright minds say. We don't, we, we don't believe in war. We don't believe in armed conflict. But in embracing that stance, we need to be very careful not to push out of the realm of possibility. This idea we are in a war and the battle is intensifying, not to simply eliminate that notion that God is also a offensive, imminent danger, divine being. And while I understand... And I love the pictures just like you do. I love the abundant passages in Scripture in which God identifies himself as a mother. The maternal picture of God is a sweet one, Isaiah 49. I love the, I love the compassionate picture of God as a shepherd in, in, in Psalm 23. I love, I love God as a friend and a lover, as, as portrayed in the Song of Solomon and John chapter 15. I even love the picture of God in, in Psalm 91 where he's portrayed as a mother hen. And when Jesus comes to earth, his last words to Jerusalem are, how often have I as a mother hand? Have I longed to draw you as little chicks to me, but you would not come to me? I love the warmth. I, I resonate with the warmth of these metaphors, these, these, these analogies that, that God has embedded in Scripture. But Holy Scripture also portrays a very militant warrior side of deity as well. Otherwise, Joshua 5 is simply an aberration that we can just kind of get it out, get it out. It's a little crazy there. Nope, nope, nope. In fact, Jeremiah, when he calls upon God in one moment of great desperation, read Jeremiah 20 sometime. Jeremiah says, but the Lord is with me like a mighty. And then the New Revised says, no, we'll call it like a dread warrior. Why are you with me as a dread warrior? So that my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. When I'm in danger, I need a a sword-wielding God. I don't need a mother hen now. I need a warrior God. 
I'm in danger. Do you understand? I'm going to die. Deliver me. That's Jeremiah. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's rife in the Old Testament. It's everywhere. The militant picture of God, the Psalms radiate with militancy. Let's just take the first Psalm where it shows up. You, this is Psalm 2, verse 9. You, speaking of the Messiah, will break them, speaking of the rebel nations, with a rod of iron, you will dash them to pieces. Now, that isn't a warm and fuzzy picture. That's militancy. And guess what? The Bible's last book grabs this line and says, that's the picture of Jesus. Watch this. Revelation chapter 19. This is Jesus on the white stallion. You remember Jesus on the white stallion? Everybody loves that picture. I do too. And he's got a robe that's dipped in blood, and he has a crown on his head, and the host, the army, the angel armies are all with him. It's the second coming in Revelation 19. Notice how it's described here. And she, this is just before 19, and she, that's a woman, gave birth to a son, that would be a male male child, that's the Messiah, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. What's going on here? It's the Milton God. The one that gets snatched up to heaven is the Milton God. Keep reading. Chapter 19, coming out of his mouth on the white stallion, The returning Christ, who in that chapter is called the Word, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Mercy. Keep reading. Verse 21. He will rule them with an iron scepter. There it is. And we say, well, that's just, a, that's just like a mace in a graduation. You know, the, the, the marshal has a mace, and we all follow him. No, no, no. This is not a mace. This is an iron, and this is a sword. Watch this. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. This is not a namby-pamby portrayal. This is a militant portrayal. Nobody is denying, I understand that, the militant portrayal of deity in Scripture. But I do have friends, now listen, and they're my friends. I do have friends who work very hard to show that the militant portrayal of God needs to be softened and explained away so so that we will not have a God behaving in ways we would not behave. Well, if I wouldn't do that, God can't do that. Who says? Who says you're the template? I want, to think, I want you to think about this. Here's, here's the point. In our effort to clean up God's reputation and to show that he's not like the God extremists tend to portray him as, we may inadvertently miss and unnecessarily destroy the profound comfort and reassurance that comes from, from Scripture's depiction of a militant God as we've just seen here in Joshua 5. That's my point. Be careful what you deny. Most people are right in what they affirm and wrong in what they deny, by the way. That's a little principle of life. Just tuck that away. Most people are right about what they affirm and wrong about what they deny. You'll think that through, and you'll get it. There are two real-life, right-now reasons why we need this sword-drawn commander of the angel armies to be the God we call upon today, today, right now. Two of them. I'm going to give the first one. Reason number one. Because the general conference session is convening Monday morning in St. Louis, Missouri. That's why. Now, some of you are saying, I don't even know, what, what is this general conference session business? Well, that's okay. It's just internal language to describe the gathering of leaders and delegates from literally all over the planet. And they will gather in a stadium. Now, in pre-COVID days, on the second weekend of this 10-day festival, on the second weekend, 70,000 people crowded into a, packed into a stadium. But now we've got COVID. In fact, this event was postponed once and twice. And now it'll be gathering, this time with crowds much smaller, 
with some delegates actually not able to, not being allowed by the U.S. government to come into this country at all. They'll be on Zoom. In fact, I got to tell you, something beautiful happened to me totally serendipitously. Friday. So I'm coming up the stairs from downstairs, and I'm walking by here. I look in the sanctuary. Good night. Who are all these people? They're everywhere. They're taking pictures. Finally, after we had a wonderful visit together, and I'll say more about that in one second, but I want to show you these people. They're General Conference delegates. They're going to St. Louis to be there Monday morning. I took a picture of them. Here they are. I want you to take a look. And there's a flag in the background. I want you to tell me what, whose country is that flag from? Huh? Every American knows those two, those two stripes belong to what country? <clears throat> Ukraine. I want you to look at those men and women. They're pastors and wives. They're conference presidents and wives. They're union president and wife. They're seminary president and wife. What are they, about 40, 50 of them? When I realized who they were, and I had a translator that jumped up. When I realized who they were, I said, listen, we, I got to be talking about you. We have been praying for you with all our hearts. You are something else. And they began to tell stories of what it's like in Ukraine. They got out. And they're going back when this is over. This is not like a vacation. They're going back. And then they came up, because I said, I want you to see that there's a cross embedded in this platform. It's a beautiful cross. And, and, and so they came up, and I said, I want to have a prayer with you at the foot of the cross. And before we had the prayer, they said, listen, we want to sing a song to you. And so one of them, the, one of the women went to that piano right there and started playing kind of this Slavic minor key song. And my heart was just moved because they told me, the translator said, this is a song about friendship with God and how he's a savior and he can rescue us. And when I heard those men and women who know the meaning of crisis, we're sitting around whining about the price of gas. Take a look at those people. They don't even worry about gas. They're talking about air. Can I breathe? Will I be breathing tomorrow? When I hear them singing, tears just came to my eyes. I said, man, do I don't start crying now. It was moving. It's the tune, the words. And we knelt down, and I prayed for them right here, 24 hours ago right now. So that's what's happening in St. Louis. There'll be people like this, like this, coming from all over the world. We need to be praying. We need to be praying militantly for this general conference session that comes in such a troubling hour of this nation's and world's histories. I mean, we have no idea what's coming next. Look at 10 days, eight days, four days, boom, America's going crazy. And it's not just America. That's the point. It's the whole planet. We need to pray for our leaders. Sometimes we sit on the sidelines and we, we kind of armchair quarterback and say, well, that's not what I would do. Man, I wouldn't do that. Well, who cares what you would do? You're not our leader. We pray for the leaders. The Bible says pray for those who lead you. We must pray. This is the, this is the toughest time in human history to be a leader anywhere. Thanks to this pandemic and the detachment now that's in the faith community. Oh, no, no. We got to get militant. What's that? I love this promise. I memorized it, and I, I quote it to myself all the time. God's speaking here. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Just call on me. <laughs> call on me. I have what it takes. Just call on me. I don't step in if you don't want me. Call on me in the day of trouble. We need to call on God. 
on behalf of our leaders and on behalf of our members and on behalf of the suffering. We have Adventists who are suffering today on this planet, have no way to come out of the country. They cannot come. A century ago, these words were written. If the eyes of Joshua had been opened, as were the eyes of the servant of Elisha at Dothan, when he saw chariots of fire all around that little village, and Joshua could have endured the sight, he would have seen the angels of the Lord encamped about the children of Israel for the train. Oh, I love this. The trained army of heaven had come to fight for the people of God. And the captain of the Lord's host, captain of the angel armies, was there to command. Oh, that, that gives me courage. No matter how discouraging life is on this planet, no matter how discouraging the circumstances are in your life right now, I need you to know on the authority of Holy Scripture that the captain of the angel armies is on your side, and if you need all the angels of heaven, he'll send them to you. He will send them to you. Don't you ever capitulate with the enemy. Don't you ever say, well, this time I'm going to have to give in. This time I got to yield. This time it's too, this temptation is too strong for me. Don't you ever capitulate. He is able. But like I told the children, you have to ask, Jesus, please help me now. Don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your job. Don't give up on your, your aspiration. Don't give up. Don't give up when you're, with your struggle for pornography. Struggle with pornography. That's reason number two. Yep. We got a problem. Houston, we have a big problem. The enemy has found a way to burrow into the faith community anonymously with 24-7 access. It's called pornography. I'm glad our lead chaplain's sitting right here. He's so proud of his daughter who was Sophie, who was singing a moment ago. But our lead chaplain, Jose Bourget, is here. And we're going to be working with the Center for Faith Engagement this fall. Their idea. And we jumped on board. Isn't that right? We jumped on board and said, let us help you. And we're taking on the darkest darkness the enemy has. He has taken an entire human race, almost captive through pornography, sexual addiction. It's not going to be comfortable this fall for the university or for Andrews Academy or for Ruth Murdoch Elementary School or for the church or for the community because we can no longer straddle the fence when it comes to countercultural life of sexual purity. We must face pornography. We must face the confusion over sexuality and morality in this culture. We, gotta, we will have to face it. We will have to face it together in a Christ-like way, but we can no longer hide. We're losing them too fast, too fast, too many through sexual addiction. Oh, how we need a praying people this fall. One more quotation. I'll sit down. Battles are to be fought every day. A great warfare is going on over every soul between the prince of darkness and the prince of life. That battle is over your heart. That battle is over my heart. There is a great battle to be fought, that the inhabitants of the world may be warned of the great day of the Lord, that the strongholds of the enemy may be entered. Breach the strongholds. That's what this fall will be about, taking the offensive. Enter the strongholds 
and that all who love the Lord may be gathered under the bloodstained banner of Prince Emmanuel. Yeah, that's Revelation 19. Bloodstained, sword in his mouth. I'm coming. Don't give up. Don't quit yet. I'm on my way. And I have the help you need for your addiction. I have the power you need for your victory. Ask me. I have the sword. By the way, Calvary, Bloodstain, Banner of Prince Emmanuel, I'm going to draw the cross for you right here, right now. I'm not making the sign of the cross. I'm going to draw the cross, all right? So here's the cross. Tell me, is this the cross? Is that the cross? Watch this. If I grab the top part and turn it around, what do I have? It's a sword. Imminent, offensive strategy. It's a cross. It's Calvary. Calvary. Wow. They will hurry to be gathered under the bloodstained banner of Prince Emmanuel. That's where I want to be. How about you? I want to be there. I want to be under that banner. I want to stand in the shadow of Calvary. I want that sword turned in defense of my little tiny life for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus. We need to pray for two reasons. St. Louis General Conference Session, Anders University, Anders Academy, Ruth Murdoch Elementary School, Pioneer Memorial Church. Not next week, but next fall. Both of them. We start praying right now. What do you say? Let's pray right now. Kneel with me, please. Oh, God, here we are, your children, your people. If the commander, if the prince of princes, captain of the angel armies should appear right now, we would be flat on our faces. I understand the truth about you, God. You don't, you don't display your power to get some sort of high over everybody dropping to the ground. But there are times in this battle when we must be reminded that the one who leads the angel armies is an eternal, infinite, omnipotent threat to the fallen angel armies. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so we bow before you. We're not flippant about this. We're not saying there's some other way either. The cross is the only way. The bloodstained banner is the only flag under which we will stand. Oh, Father, we pray for St. Louis. If Joshua's eyes could have been opened, he'd have seen the chariots of fire. Uh, we, in our own minds, I, right now, we see chariots of fire gathering around that place in St. Louis. Oh, be with our leaders, dear God. Grant them more than human wisdom. This is, this is the toughest time in history. 
with all that these circumstances represent. This is the toughest time ever. Anoint our leaders. Anoint the delegates. Anoint the membership of this global faith community. Bless our delegates from Ukraine. We just saw them on the screen. Oh, God, bless them, please. Protect the church in that war-torn insanity. And protect the church and your people in this nation that struggles, struggling to survive. We call upon the Prince of Princes and the Captain of the Angel's Army to take charge in our space. And so we pray for this university, academy, and elementary school, and every head and heart bowed before you. Father, we lift high the cross. That's our only hope. Joshua found courage out of that encounter. We, too, find courage. Nobody's turning back. Lead us, O oh God. Lead us in the mighty name of our commander and captain. Let all the people say, Amen and Amen.